Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm excited to welcome Andrea Gwendelman. Andrea is a writer, speaker, and entrepreneur who specializes in expansive leadership, helping individuals and organizations unlock potential through openness. Through her deep and varied background from practicing law to tech startups, diversity initiatives to energy work, Andrea has come to embody an inspiring and unique kind of alchemy between the worlds of business and spiritual growth. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's great to have you with us. I I wanted to start our chat today by asking if you would tell us a little bit about where you're from and, you know, your background um, and a little bit of your own personal history. Awesome. Yeah, I love to. And actually, I just I'm just coming back from where I am, from uh, Santiago, Chile. Uh, I just spent a month there, so <laughs> it was very great to reconnect. I I was born in the U.S., but I, I was I, I I was raised in Chile, and then I came back to the U.S. when I was 25 to go to graduate school. My father had studied a PhD in the U.S., and so I always had this thing that I had to get you know would go to the U.S. to get some part of my education, and uh, and I I left Chile, and I when I left I didn't. I didn't think I was leaving forever, but when I left and I arrived to the United States and I realized that I had an opportunity to reinvent myself from where I, you know, from where I came from, I decided I was never going to go back to Chile. Mm-hmm. And it was very unusual at the time because there were a lot of graduate students from Chile. Chile was growing very much at the time and people were coming to the U.S., but they were going back because the opportunities in Chile were excellent. Mm. And so it was unusual, especially I was single, I left, I never went back, I went to practice law. I practiced law for 12 years. I worked in New York, Washington, D.C., in big law firms for the government. And and then at the end of 2011, I decided um, I wanted to do something more creative. Uh, It was very hard to leave the law, but I did. And so that's where my entrepreneurial journey began. And um, just out of curiosity, what kind of law did you practice? I practiced, I was doing uh, basically project development and all sort of municipal financing and everything related to, to financing. At the Export Import Bank, there was also export financing and working capital financing and things like that. I see. And when you decided to segue into more of a creative arena, was there something that happened or a light bulb that went off that started to get the wheels turning for you? No, it was mostly I was doing this career. I have I had decided to study law for a very particular purpose. Is that I, ha- I was I was born in Chile, and it was a very chauvinistic society at the time, and my family was very chauvinistic as well. <laughs> my father was, and I was, you know, I was determined to do. Um, I was determined to do what what men did in my generation. And I wanted to be a, an actress, but I decided that I, I polled basically all the guys in my class, the good students, and they were all going either to engineering, medical school, or law. I'm like, I said to myself, if I'm a guy, then what would I do? I would probably go into law. So I did. <laughs> so that's why. So then I, I kind of like 
got into this world and I was a good student and then I got into Harvard Law School in the US and all these things happened to me and I got a very good job in New York and all these things happened to me that uh, made it very ex attractive to stay in something that I wasn't enjoying, but it was giving me these external recognition and rewards that were, when you're younger, are very important. So let's jump fast forward now. So you've decided to move back to Chile. And when you arrived and you decided to pursue work in the startup ecosystem, um, I know you you developed a very interesting um, social platform, I believe. Yeah, no, so I never went back to Chile. Oh, I you never did? It. No, I never did. I just was in Chile for a month and I go on vacations and I never did. I see. I, I stayed here and... Um, so yeah, so one of the first, so, but the first thing I did out of, maybe that's why, because the first, the first thing I did when I left the law is that I, by chance, I created an event in Chile with Al Gore, mm, with musicians, with everybody. And that was a huge event that launched my entrepreneurial career. And, um, and then after, and basically that event was huge. We have 10,000 people. We raised over a million dollars from the government and we brought Al Gore and it was like a very incredible innovation event. And I realized that uh, I could be an entrepreneur. And so when I came back is when I started my first company called Be Visible, which was a social network for Latinas first, then for Latinas and Latinos. Uh, so so yeah. tell us a little bit about Be Visible. So Be Visible was, um, came out of my, experience living in New Mexico. So my husband and I were lawyers in Washington, DC. He decided to become a law professor. So we moved to, to New Mexico. And in New Mexico, I realized there was, I, I kind of acknowledged myself as Latina. Uh, before I was always like an international person, I felt so. And so in New Mexico, I realized there were all these Latinos and they were uh, incredibly educated and they were also getting educated, the kids of the first generation, and that they were not like me, that that I had gone to, to Harvard and an elite school, but they, many of them wanted to stay in New Mexico, close to family. And so I realized that they were like, there was a layer in the US of talent that a lot of people in the fancy kind of world that we move in, sometimes in the startup world and finance world, uh, don't know about much because they are, mostly in cities that are not like New York or you know Washington DC or not schools that are really well known. And so that there was a layer of talent and that if we could provide more social capital for that talent, then that talent will have more opportunities. And that was the origins of the visible. And then what happened, uh, what happened with that company? So that company grew, we created a, a beautiful platform. It grew to 10, 15,000 users. We ended up with a huge event in San Francisco called Be Woke SF. But eventually um, the investors and I decided that we didn't want to focus on doing an event because it was a diversity and inclusion firm. I mean, we couldn't find a business model. So we really closed the company and I started Wall Breakers with everything I've learned from, from Be Visible. And and basically with uh, a new business plan and a new and a new a new different model got it um and i'm wondering um when you created wallbreaker which i want to get to right away did you um 
were did you bring over your team from Be Visible or did you start over from scratch? I started over from scratch, but uh, we started over from scratch basically. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. So so tell us then about your second venture. So Wall Breakers, you mean? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Wall Breakers is a very cool concept. Basically, it's a diversity and inclusion solution for uh, a particular industry, in this case, computer science uh, or, or software engineers. So what we do is that we, we wanted to get, get the guests out of training and, promo and promotions, but now we're in training or in hiring, basically. And we source uh, underrepresented talent from computer science uh, majors, degrees from all over the country. And we train them in a six weeks program to get through everything that they need to, to get to pass the interviews, including the values and soft skills and working group. And we prepare them to like the first day in the job. And then we partner with companies to, to recruit them. And we are also, we are also part of the, we are, we, we're basically um, an, an apprenticeship under the, the U.S. Department of Labor. I see. I see. So you are taking, so you're working with um, professionals who are in the software engineering or tech space who are outside of the U.S. who, you know, need some assistance in order to find great positions and you're preparing them for that. Uh, yes, exactly. And we're working with the with the students in the U.S. and in Mexico. I see. So you're no, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that again? You're working so, in the U.S. So we are now working in the U.S. mainly with uh, recruiting oh. uh, candidates from the from software, you know, from from the U.S. Based in from the, the U.S. Mm -hmm. Based in the U.S. and available to work in the U.S. and with the work permit to work in the U.S. I see. But we're also starting to work in Canada and in Mexico. And um, in the population, is it an underserved population? Is there, um, you know, are they primarily women? Are they Hispanic? Or is it a, a, a mix? Great question. So it's, it's an underserved population, but it's a mix that when we say underserved, we include women, most uh, Latinas, so Latinx, Latinas and Latinos, Black, first-generation college student, uh, you know, so that will include Middle Eastern, an Asian, uh, transgender, any, 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 you know, basically anything that uh, that someone considers as underrepresented. It's very broad. We mm -hmm. had, you know, it's very, very broad, but yes. And then you help find yeah. them, you help find them positions? Right. So we, we partner with companies. So right now the, we're working mainly with uh, Visa, with Amazon, and with uh, Humo at the time. And we, what we do is that we, we partner with them and we go into this sort of like, we create a specific training for them, mm -hmm. for the company, a little bit, uh, you know, tailored to what the company is looking for. And we start referring, you know, candidates in batches of 10. I see. Got and it. Then, and then they get hired and, they, 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 you know, we had a, an event last week with no last at the end of the of, of the year with Amazon and from the 10 people they interview nine got offers so it was a great it was a great result 
Wow. Well, it sounds like it's a very smart business model because you're already partnered with your buyer and you're creating and crafting a whole training program that's curated for their specific needs. So if you have access to the talent pool, which it seems that you do, then it's kind of a natural um, a natural fit and, and kind of a win-win, it seems. Uh, I, yeah, we think that it has it has worked really well. That the employers are they cannot believe the level of talent that there is because with a little bit of polishing, with the six weeks training is crucial though. With that mm. polishing, they end up I mean, really competitive in the interviews, really good position to start the the year and the, the and if they don't get in as a regular engineer, what we're doing with Amazon, for example, is that they get in as an apprentice because I we see. are an apprenticeship provider. So they get a year to like sort of catch up to a level. And that's a very wow. innovative solution that Amazon basically is doing and it's great. So so let's so let's talk a little bit about the um, the second phase of our conversation, which is really, you know, as a founder when you're starting your business, obviously money and time are always those two things that you can never get enough of. And we all have to be incredibly resourceful and creative and strategic. I think you would agree. So in in your experience with your two companies, I'm just curious if you could share a little bit about how you perhaps saved time, money, and gained a competitive edge all while, you know, bootstrapping your ventures, whether it's on the time management side or um, software and services you may have used, or even kind of self-care strategies, which helped you keep the head, your head in the game, so to speak. Right. So I think that a lot of things, I do a lot of things about, uh, with that. I, um, I try to, I think one of the problems with entrepreneurship is that there's so much uncertainty that anxiety can sometimes get to you, right? Yeah, and and it's very the anxiety is um, this fear about the future, this fear of what's gonna go. So in this fear and this anticipation and this unknown, this uncomfortable, uncomfortable with being with the unknown, is that we made a lot of mistakes and we like kind of run ourselves down, you know. Mm-hmm. And have you learned a little bit to like trust in the process of of the, of life, that where where you you kind of like follow very closely your intuition, your rhythm. That whatever you throw out there, you wait for it to like, sort of like you throw out there and you try to disconnect with it a little bit. And and you do that mindfulness sort of practice all the time, you start becoming happier and lighter and things come to you more easily and with having more fun. That's what I, I think, I mean... And do you, find, <laughs> do you think that that was really instrumental for you between transitioning from the first startup to the second? Uh, no, I wasn't there yet when I transitioned. There was, a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of suffering. I had like all sorts of back pain and all. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, no, it wasn't fun at all. I mean, mm-hmm. at all. But uh, I think right now is, you know, it's, there's an opportunity to to grow in the material plane and in the spiritual plane at the same time, because I don't think you grow in the material plane unless you grow on the spiritual plane and it goes hand in hand. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It was interesting. I actually read something today that talked about 
startups shutting down and how shutting down a startup um, in the startup world is not like shutting down a company in the corporate world where many startups for a variety of reasons have to go dormant and they have to really pare down to bare bones in order to revamp. You know, it could be your co-founder leaves you, it could be you ran out of money, it could be a variety of reasons, but it doesn't mean it's the end of the company. And if you're a founder who's really willing to fight for the vision that you have before the company, you know, that, that inspired you to build the company, you just come back stronger and better a couple months later, maybe sometimes even a year later. Um, and I, I, I was wondering if, if you ever had that um, experience with um, when you were working with Be Visible and you decided to shut down. Sometimes founders struggle with, should I shut down and revamp or should I just pack it in and move on? I mean, that was a great question. It was so hard to shut down. Uh, first of all, I had to I talked to all my investors to make sure that they were okay and they were all super supportive and amazingly supportive. I have had a bad experience with a partner investor at the time. So it wasn't like a great relationship there. So it was, it was a very wise to shut down and start from zero and everybody understood. And, 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 and he wanted something else and I wanted something else. And, you know, it was a growth experience for both of us, I'm sure. But I found new partners, new, you know, new people to work with and that believed in the, in the concept of, that I was trying to get with Be Visible, which was similar, right? It was bringing more underrepresented people to the, to the table, if you will. Mm-hmm. giving more opportunities right this is exactly what i'm doing with with wall breakers i couldn't do it with be visible be visible because the the companies didn't care in general about talent that was underrepresented they just care about software engineers maybe and the, it, that has taken us a while so it's not even that obvious even in that case mm-hmm. but um it was hard but he but i follow the advice of people that i trusted in and they said, you know, like, look, right now, you are the company. It doesn't matter if you shut down. Like, you you are, I mean, you need to start something else. Um, you, know, you know, like, need to start from zero. And, and yeah, so it, the most important thing is that my investors that were all very close, almost all, uh, you know, basically were very, very supportive and said, yes, please, Andrea, do, do it. That's good. It's good. I think, and, that, and, I think that that's the hardest part for me was kind of like, I didn't want to disappoint my investors. And that was mm-hmm. like, I felt very strong about that, but they were all, I mean, 100% supportive. Well, that certainly makes it a lot easier. And now, um, and now with wall breakers, it sounds like obviously you're post revenue and um, financially the company is in solid footing and you're kind of on your way. Do you have um, a staff now? Do you have a small staff or a large staff? No, we are actually we have staff. I have a we, we have a small group, but we are uh, you know now it's a decision whether we scale like how you know how do we scale you know and what type of like financing do we use to scale? Do you use you know still our equity? You know do we use uh, you know debt and all these things that all these decisions that have to be made. Mm-hmm. And um, so I will not say that we are, you know, a super, you know, firm. Everything is firm because in the start- startup world, things change so much and cash is very important. But um, 
but I think the issue is that it's like, how do you now, how do you want to scale? And, you know, do you want, you know, kind of those answers are important. Yeah, and there's challenge. There's um, important questions because it impacts a lot of your um, potential growth and also potential wealth as a founder um, when you start giving away pieces of the business uh, in order to raise more and more capital. Um, so it does have a big impact. So I'm I'm wondering if. Um, if we could talk a little bit about, uh, I know that you're, you you talk often about the um, spiritual side of things, and 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 I'm I'm wondering how your spiritual life has helped you kind of navigate your work in the startup world. Yeah, no, I think that a little bit what we we're talking about this this thing of being trying to be more present, right? And it's something that we're gonna start offering. In fact, with Wildbreakers, we're gonna start offering a mental. Uh, wellness program because new grads, you know, as entrepreneurs, as, as anyone that is kind of going through a transition that is so huge, and especially from underrepresented backgrounds with COVID, Black Lives Matter and everything that is happening in the country, they need support, you know? And, and so it's not only for entrepreneurs, but everything that I learned spiritually, I will want to pass it to even the people that are starting jobs. And I think what it is is, it's actually this awareness. I, I I would say that it's the constant um, uh, constant awareness and 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 practice of understanding what story you're telling yourself, and that's part of the you know controlling the anxiety, controlling the. So when you just focus on the thing at hand, you put your best foot forward, your intention, and you let and release everything else. I think you're you're happier, right? Then you become grateful, and then you're happier. And I think you have this trust in the process. All these things help you flow more, have better ideas, more in tune with your intuition, make better decisions, know what to do next. All these things that are mm -hmm. can be blocked at any time by your anxiety and your fear mm -hmm. and your over nervousness about things. A hundred percent. If um, if there's a, a, an entrepreneur um, out there who's struggling right now to make some decisions um, early stage in, in his or her company, um, what one piece of advice would you share with him or with her that you wish someone had told you early on in your journey? Uh, make it economically viable because I... Um, I also had a little bit of the luxury to have, you know, opportunities to to do those. It was always uncomfortable, but it was a little bit. I, in other words, I think never be so uncomfortable that you can't think creatively. Because if you're like financially super uncomfortable, um, then you cannot think super creatively because you're like stressed out all the time. Mm -hmm. So even though it's gonna be uncomfortable try to make it the least uncomfortable possible. So keep your job as long as possible. Mm -hmm. I would say, no, don't quit your job. Let's say to like, I would say like, quit your job when you find the business model. Don't quit your job before the business model. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, if you right. found the business model, please quit your job. Right. Or if you, if you fundraise, please quit your job. But I mean, mm -hmm. for women, for people of underrepresented backgrounds, it's hard that, you know, fundraise, I mean, I don't know, that was not for everybody's an option and not at the level that is needed to, you know, create a company, support yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I will add to that that, you know, whether you stay in your job or whether you have a side hustle, 
that right. can be supportive of your, you know, covering um, your financial commitments. That that is clearly really helpful. And and I do agree. If you're financially constrained, it's you're constantly in a state of fear. Exactly. So it, it is really difficult to think clearly, in particular if you have a lot of commitments. Well, um, I think you raised some excellent points, Andrea, and I believe that. Um, there's going to be a lot more that we're going to hear from your exciting venture, Wall Breakers. And I'm so excited for, for you. And it's always so inspiring when you talk to founders who say, hey, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. My first three companies crashed and burned. My fourth was a success, you know, because I think it encourages all of us that it's never too late. Keep at it. Sometimes things don't work out the first time, but you learn from them and you move on. Absolutely. I mean, and, and sometimes it's okay to go get a job in between. It's so, totally fine. I got a job in between too, you know. Absolutely. So it happens. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being on Startup Hacks today. I want to um, give you an opportunity to share with our listeners a way that they could contact you if they have any questions about your company or you. Is there a website you'd like to share? I mean, you can contact me on LinkedIn, Andrea Gwendelman, or uh, Wildbreakers, uh, contact at wildbreakers.com, or my website, andreagwendelman.com. Anyway, Great. I would love to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much, and tune in thank next you. week. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that can save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global, the first startup studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. See you next week.